Welcome to the second episode of the Ideal Systems Podcast. We'll be interviewing Natanya Olasanya, who's not only a very notable debater, but also the current president of QCID. All right, so as a little bit of an introduction, can you maybe speak to your path to Carlton and sort of who you are, what you do, where you come from? Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm Natanya. I also go by Nat, um, so either one is fine. Um, I grew up in the UK, actually, um, up until I was 14. Um, and I lived like in Greater London, so like Essex area. Um, and I moved to Canada at 14. Uh, and I went to high school here, lived in Oakville for a long time, made some really great friends. Uh, friends who were also involved in debate, but debate was never really for me back then. I was like, oh, debate. <laughs> um, um, and then, yeah, I ended up going to Carlton uh, to study Indigenous policy, uh, which has been really cool. And I really enjoy it. Um, and yeah. So what do you do outside of the debate world? Like, who are you besides being a debater? Um, outside of being a debater, uh, I weirdly used to be, what well, used to be, because I don't do so much sports anymore, but I used to be quite sporty. Uh, I'm very, very into reality TV, but UK reality TV, which is very different to Canadian North American reality TV. Um, but yeah, also big reality TV buff. Um, yeah, I guess those are some of my interests outside of debate. All right. So I guess we'll kind of start on like the QCID hamover. So before we even get started on what you do at QCID and what, and all that, what exactly is QCID and why does it exist? Um, so QCID is the Canadian University Intercollegiate no, Society for Intercollegiate Debate, wow. Um, and it's kind of the national body that oversees the entirety of Canadian debate. So its members aren't necessarily like individual people, but they're more so like the clubs that exist under QCID. Um, so for example, CUDS, which is Carlton Debate, which I'm part of, is also a part of QCID. So that would be like the member. Um, and QCID exists basically to centralize debate, to help create policy, um, to help debate, but also to just make debate accessible um, and just to help coordinate things. Because I think we see this with the US as well. When you do things on a really decentralized level, tournaments get scheduled for the same weekend and people have to choose between going to two or, you know, different clubs have different policies and ways of doing things. So it just exists to kind of put everything together and make everything run seamlessly in debate. So you mentioned accessibility. How do you define accessibility and what does it mean to you as an individual and then on more so like an organization level? Yeah, um, I think accessibility personally for me has been super important because Carlton is, I think, probably the most accessible debate society in Canada uh, since we're funded by a levy. So that means every single student who goes to Carlton pays, I think, 50 cents a semester. Um, and that money all goes towards CUDS funding. Um, I think without that money, I, would be, I wouldn't be able to do debate. Um, and the reason for that is because debate is super expensive. And having talked to a lot of different people from different clubs like across Canada, it can be really inaccessible because you have to do things like travel to tournaments, buy food at tournaments, have housing at tournaments. Like all of these things just cost a lot of money. Um, and I think that accessibility on an individual level is super, super important because otherwise you just structurally shut out 
people who are poorer or people who aren't as like financially privileged um and i definitely wouldn't be doing debate right now uh if not for the accessibility that cuts has um but in terms of like accessibility on a national level i think especially for different regions within QCID, specifically east and west i think there have been a lot of issues with accessibility since schools are quite spread out um, and clubs don't necessarily have as much funding. Clubs tend to be a bit smaller because they, you know, can't do as many tournaments. So that means that accessibility also means even just having access to tournaments. Um, but also on top of that, the kind of financial accessibility that I was talking about in terms of being able to pay for flights to different places, being able to like rent cars or do room bookings, right? These are all things that can make debate quite inaccessible. And I think the role of QCID is then to kind of step in and try and solve a lot of those issues. Uh, I'm not so sure that QCID has done a great job of that in the past, but accessibility, I think, is probably the one word which kind of boils down this year's exact like, focus for QCID and what we kind of want to do. So, yeah. All right. So, so you mentioned on this already, but how are like how exactly are you planning to kind of extend that branch of accessibility to like dis disenfranchise people or to like communities who don't have as much access to debate at the moment? Yeah, so um, QCID actually, so we take in a fee from clubs every year. Um, I think it's roughly $40 at the moment. And that fee is supposed to go towards like helping QCID run and function. Um, but a lot of that money has just sat in the bank account. Um, and one of our big plans this year is to just spend. Um, but we also, I guess I could talk about this now because we just had our exec meeting this uh, weekend and kind of finalized that we kind of do want to push for this. Um, but I guess you get the inside scoop. <laughs> I'm very excited uh, this for this. Year, which, <laughs> uh, we're going to try. So this was actually, I have to give full credit for this idea to Ruth Silkoff because this was her idea. It was in her presidential platform last year, but since she didn't win, nothing ever got done with it. But I was reading through platforms um, before I posted my own and I was like, wow, this is a really great idea. We should definitely do this. Um, and the idea is basically to have like a QCID high school tournament and then use the money that we generate from that high school tournament to fund QCID. Um, and basically what that would look like is having all the QCID members and clubs like send judges to judge at this tournament, um, having like it be huge. And I think a lot of schools have been able to generate a lot of funds from having high school tournaments. I know Western does this. I know, I think I'm pretty sure UBC does it. Um, mm -hmm. And it is a big like fund generator. So I think if we could pull all of QCID's resources together in terms of judging experience, we can one, make it a super developmental experience, but two, also just raise a lot, a lot of money for QCID and then just redistribute that money and give it out in terms of subsidies on an as need basis. Um, so that's one of the big things we're gonna be working towards this summer. So I know currently QCID is primarily for university students, but do you guys have any outreach for high school students? So not at the moment, but the plan is um, we're going to reach out to different university clubs who already have ties with high schools and basically get them to send those invites out um, to the people that they would usually send it to. Because um, I know a lot of high school tournaments, like even Cuds' high school tournament this year, I believe, had over 200 teams. Western had over 200 teams. UBC had over 200 teams. And those are all 
you know, usually located within those regions. So Kurds, it comes from Ottawa, UBC, it comes from out West, you know? So if we could even pull and get like even half of those teams, we could have a huge tournament. Um, and I think that would go a long way in terms of being able to fund things like flights, um, being able to fund things like room bookings, just basically being able to give clubs money for anything that they need um, and just making the circuit more accessible. So, yeah. How do you think the pandemic and like COVID-19 has panned into what accessibility looks like with debate and what do you think the impact has been? Yeah, so I think um, online debate has definitely kind of shifted things, but I think, you know, even though there are drawbacks to online debate, like it's not as social. I think in some regards, it's just been amazing because I know I personally have just met so many different people who I never would have met before and made great friends who I never would have made before. And I think it's just, it's really opened up the possibilities. And I think now that I have those connections, I'm more so like, okay, like how can we bring this all together now and make a more cohesive circuit so that people know each other? And it's not like, you know, I, I heard stories about worlds, like schools from East and West just feeling really left out because they were like, I don't know anyone from QCID and there were very few teams going. It's like, now we can actually have that kind of cohesion. And I think it just, it brings in a whole new host of possibilities, but specifically in terms of accessibility, I think reg fees are a lot lower so people can attend more tournaments. Also, you don't have kind of like the geographical divides um, kind of coming in as much. I think it's just made things a lot more accessible. And I think even in a post COVID world, I think we should still strive towards incorporating some form of online, like maybe hybrid um, method. But I think that takes like looking at what EUDC is gonna do, cause they're gonna do EUDC, which is like the European debating championships. They're doing it in a hybrid format. So I think it's just, we're gonna kind of watch and see what that looks like. And then from there, maybe potentially recommend that clubs keep on a hybrid format so that, you know, we can keep the kind of accessibility that we've had this year because I think it has just been phenomenal. Yeah, I completely agree with this. Like prior to the pandemic influencing debate going online, it was as if EUDC, WDC, all these really cool debate names and debater names were just this thing that I heard of. And then all of a sudden I could see these um, these tournaments on Facebook and you could just register for them. And it's like, whoa, I'm at Cambridge IV this year. Or I got to debate, you know, at these like 500 like international tournaments, which I think would have been impossible to do prior to the pandemic, which is really, really cool. So I will say, like I did want to ask earlier. So mm -hmm. with QCID, were you involved prior to being president or is this like your first role? Um, so last year I was actually executive director of QCID. Um, which was super fun because uh, I got to do it with one of my best friends, Sophie. Um, and that was, I think, a great intro role for me uh, to kind of figure out what QCID was. Because at the time, like even when I ran for the role, I just saw no one was running for it. And I was like, I think I could probably do this. Like sounds doable. And then Sophie's kind of good with more of the like graphic design kind of thing. So I was like, Sophie, you want to do this with me? And she was like, yeah, sure. And then a bunch of people ran against us, which was really scary because I was only running because no one else ran. Um, but I think last year gave me a good intro to kind of seeing what QCID does. Um, and also seeing how QSA could be more useful because then we started doing things like seminars and practices. Um, yeah, so I think last year was a great experience for me in terms of just like learning more about QSA, but yeah. 
And so then like coming forward to this year's election, what kind of influenced you to run for president and what was that experience like? Um, a lot, like people just kept asking me if I was running for president. And I was like, at the time I was like, no, but then the more people that asked me, the more I was like, should I run for president? Um, and then I just kind of decided I probably could do it. And I worked like Last year I worked quite closely with Mehdi uh, just because we're both in CUDS together. We've known each other quite well for some time. Um, and like, I kind of got insight to what the president role was like. And I was just kind of like, I think I could do this. I think there's a lot more that HUSID could be doing to help um, accessibility. Uh, and I was also working towards the end of my term last year on things like expansion uh, in terms of like getting more schools involved in QCID because we have very few of the actual universities and colleges that exist across Canada within QCID or if you even do debate. Um, so I was just kind of seeing possibilities and I was like, I think there's a lot that QCID could be doing to make things easier and more accessible for different schools. Um, so I kind of just decided to run and put myself out there. <laughs> yeah. Agree. Also, I think there is a lack of like competitiveness in the Canadian circuit because I think it's primarily focused on like McGill, U of T, a little bit of CUDS, a little bit of UADS, a little bit of UBC, where you kind of just have these like remote cases of a few debaters making it. But overall, there's like this lack of environment or maybe even resources. So what do you think QCID can do to help like aid competitiveness in the circuit? Yeah, I think and also one of the big reasons I was thinking about expansion was because I was like, you know, I go to the same tournaments and I just, I debate against the same people all the time. Like I go to a CP tournament and I know that if I hit Ethan Curry, he's going to run sports against me because I'm bad at sports. You know, like, it's like, it's like, we know each other way too well. Um, yeah. and, and that can be, that can, that can be a positive, but it could also, you know, in terms of competitiveness, especially at things like Woodock. Um, it does become quite difficult for us to do well because we're used to just debating against the same people who do the same things. Um, so I think in terms of expansion, that definitely could help because then you bring in new talent and you have much more variety, even within regions, if people do want to stay within their regions, because obviously, like, I would love a hybrid format to continue into the future, but obviously I can't control that, like, you know. Um, but I think that, Definitely expansion is one of the things, but I think the second thing uh, and something we're going to be putting more emphasis on this year is training. Um, and that's something we talked about a lot about our exec meeting. Um, and I think regional reps are going to be much more involved in kind of like taking on training within their own specific regions and making sure that everyone in their region is like even just comfortable with like the rules of BP, but doing more than that. Also continuing on with seminars from last year because they were quite popular. Um, and I think that especially given that we can now get in people internationally because a lot of us have made those connections to like really, really good debaters. I think that, you know, there's a lot, a lot that we could do, uh, even in terms of schools sharing the resources that they have. Um, I think there's a lot that can be done in terms of making QCID more competitive um, as well. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I also feel like this is, I don't actually have any data to back this up, but just from like a visual glance over of what competitive debate looks like in Canada, it, it looks like almost like a, like a pipe between really excellent schools debaters and then them kind of going on to university and excelling once again, instead of us actually seeing more organic growth coming out from just university debaters going on to the WDC level, which does, which, which does still happen, but it's just not as common 
as its counterpart yeah I think you know especially for me because I joined debate um halfway I joined it in second semester first year um so I came in at CP (laughs) which is even wilder for me because everyone else like no one else joined at the same time as me so everyone else in the club had already had a semester of BP under their belts so for me and also we got the years about not like the rules about novice status wrong so I actually competed as a pro for a really long time when I should have been a novice (laughs) so yeah like the curve the learning curve for me was just insane and I felt like I was always just like you know taking one step forward and everyone else had already taken like 10 steps ahead of me um especially because some people had done high school debate like even so when I got into second year in my first semester there were novices who came in who were beating me with ease from high school debate and it you know it feels really bad but I think that there's definitely in terms of like sharing training resources there's definitely a lot more that we can be doing to ensure that you know, people have the opportunity to learn, people have the opportunity to improve. Um, I also think, you know, like there should probably be more ways for newer debaters to like get involved or, you know, maybe that's something that we can do specifically in training, like maybe have a seminar on like how to kind of get over that learning curve. You know, I think there's a lot that we can do um, in order to help that but not quite sure what that is yet but we'll yeah or maybe even setting like a pre-summer camp every single year for debaters oh. like like a beginner level an intermediate and advanced and then like three weeks of intense training and then you like pop out these fantastic debaters you know year in and year out I really love that idea and I might steal that idea Please but I will give do. you all the credit <laughs> You don't even need to. I'll just sign up because, yeah, like, why not? Because, like, we do have some fan, like, phenomenal talent going on in the Canadian circuit. And there is somewhat of, like, a trickle-down affair where the better our, um, like, college-level debaters get, the better our high school debaters get. And then it's just, like, we essentially will dominate the world eventually. All right. So I will say... Fingers crossed. No, it's for sure happening. (laughs) So over the past few years, like from all the competitions that I've been at, like whether that's Central, East, West, I haven't seen a large amount of Indigenous representation or if anything, any Indigenous representation in debate. First off, like, are there any actual stats on this or is it just me not noticing things? Also, secondly, how do you think we can improve that as a circuit? Yes. So this is actually something that I started having conversations about two years ago. Um, it was like, I'm, I'm not gonna talk about like black representation debate like right now, um, but I will say that black and indigenous representation debate is something that I brought up um, last year because I was like, there are very few people. Um, and I think that is something that we definitely have to improve on. And there was a project I was gonna undertake this summer to try to make a free debate camp specifically aimed at underrepresented groups in debate. And I did have like a lot of interest. I've just gotten so busy, <laughs> but I think it would be really cool. Cause I do think it starts at the high school level, right? Because high school debate tends to be really expensive. And the reason why it tends to be really expensive is because university clubs need to fund themselves and therefore they charge high prices to high school debaters that just makes high and also coupled up with the fact that like 
even outside debate institutions cost a lot of money. A lot of public schools don't actually have debate teams. It means that oftentimes racialized people, specifically indigenous peoples, are oftentimes locked out of debate structurally just because of how financially inaccessible it is. That follows through to the university level because a lot of the people who do debate did high school debate. Um, and I think it all starts from the high school level. I do think that there's more outreach to be done at the university level in terms of maybe going into your indigenous student center and being like trying to host events and do recruitment there. I think there's a lot that can be done to try and fix representation issues. But I think oftentimes what we end up doing is lumping everyone in with BIPOC. And then we say, oh, well, we have BIPOC people without looking at the specific groups within that that are actually underrepresented. And I think it has to, like, you have to, to fix these issues, it has to be targeted. You can't just say that we're gonna try to do recruitment. Like, like you actually have to go out and try. I think a good example of this is CUDS specifically with women. Uh, the club used to be really male dominated. They used to never actually retain female novices. Um, but what they ended up doing was going into the women's center. Uh, well, there were like, a, I think there were two women at the time and they ended up going to the women's center and just recruiting a bunch of people. And now CUDS is like really female dominated. Um, so I think there are ways you just have to be really explicit and you have to be really um, intentional about seeking out these types of groups, because I think it really is important, especially, you know, in debate rounds where we often talk about the most marginalized people, you know, you're systemically shutting them out of debate at the same time. So I think it's really important that we start to be more intentional about how we do outreach specifically as clubs, because I don't think there's as much QCs can do as can do at this level because it is about like clubs specifically recruiting. But I also think that, you know, with expansion, we're probably going to be reaching out to more diverse schools. Um, and I think on that level, we can also probably help fix some of the underrepresentation issues. But I definitely do think it's an issue and I definitely do think it's one that needs to be targeted. Yeah. Also, I want to like touch on the thing that you said about how everyone who's not essentially white gets like put into this huge category of BIPOC. But the thing is, like, in BIPOC, every single category of that has completely different needs in terms of what it means to be represented or what it means to have access to certain things. For example, like, the way a South Asian accent is even perceived is significantly different than how an accent from, like, you know, like, Southern Africa is perceived. And so even based on that, the way those are judged, it's, it's so different. So, just based off of even that like single singularity and the differences it has just on a regional basis, I think we do a, a massive harm to everyone inside of BIPOC when we just are like, all right, y'all are one group and we're <laughs> going to keep you in one place. Yeah, I completely see that. Okay, so prior to actually getting a lot of exposure to QCID via Facebook again, because of everything going online and seeing Mehdi like doing his posts like super frequently, the only actual like link that I had to QCID was equity. Because anytime equity was called out, it was like, all right, we're going to have to report this to QCIT and it's going to be a massive problem. So what exactly is equity in this case? Yeah, um, so I've never like been on the ombuds team, so I can't like speak um, as much to like what ombuds does, but I can speak very generally about equity. Um, so equity is basically the process. So in debate, obviously we focus on a lot of like a wide range of issues um, and that 
like allows for the I guess uh, okay let me start again so I think in debate there's we talk about a lot of different things and within that there's a lot of space for people to oftentimes say things that are just harmful um, not only to people who are necessarily in the room but to specific groups who are marginalized um, so what equity does is equity is there more so of an educational role um, and more of a peer support role to kind of one support people who have gone through that process of having harm done to them or even hearing just harmful things and thinking that they're wrong um, and trying to call it out which is always a good thing um, and then you can take that to an equity officer who will then be able to kind of resolve the issue in any way that that specific person wants so if that person says hey I want you to talk to the other individual then that's something that's done if that person says um, I want like this person to be taken out of this tournament, then that's something that equity will consider. So equity always will act in the interest of the person who's making the complaint, um, but it's usually in an educational fashion. That's specifically equity at tournaments. Equity on more of a club level, usually it ends up dealing with more um, interpersonal issues between people. Uh, that's how that usually ends up happening, but also still the same kind of functions as a tournament where they'd like talk to people, if they did say anything wrong within a round. Then there's Ombuds. Um, and Ombuds works to oversee all equity teams. So similar to how QCID oversees like all the debate clubs, uh, Ombuds oversees all the equity teams in QCID. Um, and if there are any issues that can't be resolved internally within a club, that's when they get sent to Ombuds. Also, if there are any like wider scale QCID issues, that also goes to ombuds and then also like in terms of like the actual QCID equity policy that's all also overseen by ombuds um so ombuds is basically like in charge of equity i hope that answers the question <laughs> no it def that definitely makes a lot of sense so as a person of color more prominently as a black person how has your experience in debate been affected by being someone who's a part of bipoc and how do you think people who aren't as represented in debate, how do you think their personal identity impacts their experience um, as being a part of debate, specifically the Canadian circuit? Um, I think, like, for me, personally, because I can only really speak to my own experience in this case. Mm -hmm. um, but I think when I first started debate, I found it quite hard socially, um, just because... I feel like, and I think it's a cultural thing, right? Because you you gravitate towards people oftentimes who have similar like cultural backgrounds because you end up having like similar values and things that you were taught growing up, right? So it's easier for you guys to like connect. But because there are so, so few black people on the circuit, it, it was kind of hard for me to like make friends with people and, you know, relate to other people, especially coming from, you know, what is, I, I wouldn't say my club is like very white, but it's like, there are, you know, a good number of white people. Um, so it can be quite difficult. I think accessibility firstly looks like having a social environment where you, you know, feel comfortable. But then I also think it looks like things like financial accessibility, because I know personally, I would not be able to debate if, you know, it wasn't basically funded for me. Um, and I think it's like similar kind of with what I said about indigenous peoples where, you know, especially when you are marginalized in society, like 
not only socially, but also financially, you know, it's hard to have money to do extracurricular activities, um, which you can put on your resume and stuff like that, you know? So I think accessibility looks like financial accessibility, but I also think it looks like representation and making a space where people feel comfortable making friends and people can find people that they relate to because, you know, if you are oftentimes the only black person in the room, it does feel like this isn't a space for you. Um, and very fortunately, you know, I had Sophie who I went to high school with um, and we were like best friends in high school who also like joined debate the year after me. So even though I was like alone for a semester, like that next year was a lot more comfortable for me because I like had someone who I was comfortable with, but I know, you know, not everyone would have that support. Um, and I think that does turn people away from debate. So I think it really does like representation and seeing people who look like you really does make a difference in terms of your like wanting to stay. Right. Also, so like currently a massive thing that's been brought up is accent bias, institutional bias, but both of those things specifically pertaining to one, like people of color, but also to people who just come from like in quotes lower ranked institutions which technically shouldn't be a thing inside of debate because where you go technically shouldn't influence how good of a debater you are or at least not in the eyes of judges but what what's something that you think QCIT could do or even clubs could do to kind of make the environment more welcoming or more fair for everyone um I think it starts probably with representation because you know if for example I have a panel of people who all have English as a first language, you know, are they gonna, like, there probably is quite a bit of accent bias, right? That's why you have things like gender diversity on panels. You don't have full male panels because of the fact that people know that women end up being like discriminated against for things like tone, right? In the same way, there probably shouldn't be things like all white panels or all English as a first language panels. And I think that that means then that we need to change the makeup of our debate community in order to kind of stop those things from happening. And I think that starts on a club level with things like recruitment. Um, and I think it goes back to being, you know, very intentional about how you're recruiting people um, and making sure that you are doing outreach, not just to the same people in the same communities, um, but different ones. Because if you do a club fair and you only have white men at your booth, you are probably gonna get more white men come over to you than anything, you know? So it really does start at the club level. It does start with recruitment. Um, but I also think it means having a bigger emphasis on equity um, and making sure that like, you know, in for example, tournament equity briefings, you're making sure to talk about things like accent bias and being like, it's your job as a judge to listen, regardless of whether you, you know, you find it hard or not. You're not just allowed to just say, I'm not going to listen because it's too difficult for me. You have to try and you have to make that effort. Otherwise, you're not going to chat or you're not going to judge. Um, and I think it does come down to just putting the emphasis on it, but also making sure that we have a more representative circuit of the kinds of people who are going to want to join debate. I agree. I And I also think the first step to this was creating awareness that this was a problem to begin with. And we definitely have that. Like every single debater, I think, to a certain degree understands that this is a legitimate problem and also accepts that it's a legitimate problem. So now we can actually work on being more cognizant about it and therefore actually recruiting in those areas, recruiting at the schools. Like for example, I think like just going back to high school, a lot of recruit is just focused on 
really bougie, expensive, high-end private schools, especially if you look at Vancouver, where people can just afford to pay for very expensive coaches. But where we want that representation to come from, those areas can't. All right. So on t- in terms of like training and progression, you've obviously done very well in the debate circuit and like I've seen you everywhere and it's very, very impressive. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about your training regimen, what you do as an individual debater. Um, oh, okay. Spicy question. Yes. Um, as an individual, um, I... I'm a big believer like I'm not a person like there are a lot of people out there who will like watch rounds like study speeches like I really don't do much of that I think practice is how you get better um and I think it's about being intentional with your practice so when I go to a tournament or when I go to a debate round I set goals for myself so for example if I go to a cuds debate round I'm like today I want to work on weighing I don't care if my speech is terrible because that's why I'm at a practice round, but I want to make sure and I want to come out of this round knowing that I weighed well or knowing that I impacted well or knowing that I had good framing. So I think it's about being intentional about what you do in rounds. Um, And I think that makes you much more strategic because then you start to realize, okay, well, I'm doing this well, how does this fit with this? Um, So I think debate is all about strategy I, I honestly, I'm not very specky. Like I don't know a lot about IR, econ and finance. And that's kind of what I want to work on this summer. But I think practice is big, but also practicing really intentionally and just making sure that you're not just going into a debate round and just doing whatever and saying whatever in a seven minute speech, you're actually being strategic um, and like answering certain questions for yourself and being like, okay, did I do this well? Um, so yeah, I guess I'm quite methodical. <laughs> how I do debate um but yeah I'd say that's the big thing that's kind of like changed in how I've um I've debated ever since I started because I think when I started I would just go to a practice and practice but now I'm much more like I'm working on this today um yeah awesome all right so we're kind of coming at the end of our time and I can and I have two main questions left for you so firstly coming full circle as being president of QSID what are your plans for the upcoming year and what should we expect from the governing body? I think you, I I don't want to say have high expectations, but I think you can expect that we're going to do a lot. By the end of this year, we will have charitable status. um, So we'll be able to get alum donations and get them kind of their tax refunds from that. So that's definitely one of the big things that we're working on. We're also going to have the same kind of summer seminars and summer training, but also on top of that, training from your regional VPs. Um, expect QCID IV. Expect that high school tournament to generate a lot of revenue and expect there to be subsidies for clubs um, to be able to just kind of get money from this pool and use it towards their own clubs and making them more accessible. And hopefully, big fingers crossed, expect some more schools in QCID um, and to have some new member schools and meet some new people. Um, so yeah, I'd say those should be your big expectations for the year. Um, I think it's going to be a good year. I'm very excited. I think I'm, I'm super excited for our exec. I think they're all phenomenal. Um, and even the people who weren't elected, I've spoken to a lot of them and a lot of them are still really down to, you know, get involved and join in. So I'm really looking forward to having a QCID that's just a lot more representative and actually just does a bit more 
for clubs across the circuit because I think there's a lot that we can do um, to just make debate as enjoyable and seamless as possible. What's your bit of advice for someone who's just starting off in the, on their debate career? What can they expect from what's going to come up in their next few years? Um, I would say a piece of advice that would have been helpful for me when I first started debate is that your progress in debate is never going to be linear. Because um, <laughs> I think I expected to like, you know, do a good speech and then become a phenomenal debater. Um, don't expect too much from yourself. Like you can be a very intelligent person and not be the best debater in the world. And debate doesn't measure your intelligence. It doesn't measure your self-worth. It's, it's nothing about anything like that. I think it should be about you and your own personal goals and what you want to get out of it. Um, and I think so long as you're having fun, so long as you're making connections with other people, be happy. Like, like you came, you did what you came here to do, you know? Um, yeah, don't put too much pressure on it. Don't worry about any of that. Just have fun um, and meet new people. Thank you so much, Natani, for taking the time out to be on the podcast today. We can't wait to see what you have coming up for us in your upcoming year as president of QCID. And besides that, good luck. Thank you. Uh, I super appreciate you having me. Um, and yeah, I think as cross, this is a great year for QCID. Awesome. I hope so. <laughs> Thank you for listening in on the podcast. Together, let's find the ideal system. See you in the next one.